No, it's such an honour to share on Father's Day. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, I'm only a young dad and I feel like in a room like this, you know, there's a few, you, few fellas that have done it a bit longer than me. You know, a few more lessons. I'm still in the, I'm just changing nappies still. But uh, it's a real honour to be able to, to share for Father's Day, you know, and I'm so blessed and grateful to the gift that God's given me of being able to be a dad and be able to father uh, two of the most gorgeous little girls you've ever seen. I think so anyway, they're the most gorgeous. And uh, hey, there's a third one on the way, does everyone know? There we go. Number three, that was pretty anticlimactic, letting you know, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram, come on, check it out. Yes, we're having another kid. How good's that? Yeah, baby. So good. We're so pumped. And uh, think of Nick's. Pray for her because you know how she goes with preggers. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, can be a bit sick. Hey, uh, fatherhood, it, it is. It really is an honor and, and, and so grateful to be a dad. Um, it, it's one of the things, it's both... A privilege and it has its pressures as well that I've learnt. You know, one of the privileges that for me, I mean, there's so many of being a dad, so many privileges, having kids. One of my favourite things in the world is Eden's been going to daycare this year and, and dropping her off at daycare, you know, yeah, whatever. But it's the part of coming to pick her up from daycare. It's just, I love it so much. And it's always fun to just look at your kid from a distance and watch them interact with other kids and, and see how they are before you see her. And I love that. I love, I pull up and I intentionally try and make sure she can't see me and I just watch her for a little bit to see how she interacts. And the best thing is then when you go in and you open the gate and as soon as she catches my eye, doesn't matter what she's doing, it's just like, throw that, ditch that and just run, Daddy! And to have her run across the, the yard and you get down and your little kid and it's just, isn't that just one of the best, you know, those, those moments, those feelings. And, and I taught it to say, I'm so happy to see you, daddy. <laughs> oh. That's brainwashing. <laughs> well, whatever it takes. It's one of the privileges. And then, you know, there is the other side, there's that pressure though, as well, you know, with fatherhood. And one of the pressures sometimes I think is that you just want to know, man, am I doing a good job? Like, am I doing this thing right? And uh, I think every parent wants to do a good job, right? You want to you be knowing that you're doing a good job. And just recently, I had a bit of a moment where I thought, well, maybe I'm not doing the best job at this little part. And every kid will, um, every parent will know that bedtime, getting your kid to go to bed can sometimes be one of the most difficult things in the world. And Eden um, kind of somehow, and I guess it kind of fell back on me because I ended up being the one who was putting her to bed most of the time, or just, it's just the way it worked. I was putting her to bed a lot. Or I was probably more just a sucker and I would let her get away with things. I'm a bit of a pushover. But anyway, this is real... Of, of what it took to get Eden to bed. This was a list, this was a checklist that had to be meticulously followed until Eden would be happy to roll over and say goodnight. And this is just a little, up until a little while ago. So here we go, a little honesty about parenting, the reality. At bedtime, Eden would need 
One teddy bear, her teddy bear in the bed. She would need a bunny in the bed. She would need a little bunny in the bed. She would need her soft bunny, her soft bubby, which is another teddy bear in her bed. She had a muslin wrap tucked in on the side. She had a little journal under her pillow. She had two pillows. She had four blankets. And those four blankets had to go in the exact order. Trust me, if you try to mix one up, she will let you know, no, that's the wrong order. She had to stand on the side and watch you do the blankets, put them down, and then she would get in. She had to have her water bottle in the right spot with the lid closed. She had to have a rocking horse in the door. And she also had to have the hallway light on all night. Eleven things that had to be followed meticulously to, to, to make sure this kid gets to bed. And it was just recent. I just kind of had this moment and you're just thinking, hang on a second. <laughs> what have I done? What am I doing? You're three years old and I'm following this checklist of 11 things. You've got a, a journal under your pillow. <laughs> and you just go, mate, no, no, no. Praise God, one blanket, one bubby, one water bottle, one pillow now, and a nightlight. Dad got that. Oh, and the heat pack. I forgot the heat pack. But hey, praise God that uh, we're past that. Hey, that's obviously a pretty light-hearted example, you know, of some of the pressures that come from fatherhood. You know, I'm sure as life goes on, they'll probably get some things a little bit more serious than, than those things. But hey, it is one of those pressures. I just want to say I'm so thankful, um, you know, for my dad. My dad has just been an absolute blessing in my life. For those of you who know him, you know, he's always been consistent, caring, generous, loving, affirming. One of the best things about our dad you know, me and my sister, my brothers, sisters, he's always pointed us to Jesus. You know, I don't think you could want something more in a dad that always point you to Jesus. Someone who's always faithful to his wife and his kids and uh, just for the wisdom that he has. And so as a dad, to have a dad like that to be able to, to look to and glean from, man, I'm, I'm so thankful for that in my life. You know, and I would think today, without a doubt, that the father relationship is something that is indispensable in a person's life. You know, that relationship with how our father, with our father, there's something that's so powerful and, and influential about a father. There's something that they, that they do in us. And, you know, each and every single one of us has our father's story. You know, we all have a different story. You know, and I, I do believe that there is a vacuum, there's a place within our heart that can only be filled by a father's love. That there's something within us that craves this love of a father to fill it. You know, I work uh, in high schools. I'm a teacher in high schools and I teach scripture to tell kids about God. And um, I get asked a lot of questions a lot of the time. And there's this girl in one class and she's been asking questions genuinely for a while. And anyway, one day she's uh, here in the class and she's at the front of the class and she's got my attention. The class is still talking while I'm teaching. <laughs> and she's asking me this question. And she asks a question I get asked quite a, bot, uh, quite a bit is, Sir, why is God a boy? Why is, you know, why is he a he? And, and, I, and I answer and I say, you know, well, 
the Bible actually says that God is spirit, you know, that he's neither male nor female, but, you know, it, it's still male and female. We're all created in his image. But the reason that he's he, the reason that it's, you know, this, this male figure, well, the simple answer is, is because that's what he has chosen to reveal himself to us as. He has chosen to relate to us in that way. He has chosen to use terms like king and father to reveal something about him. And that was his choice. And, and I was telling her this, I said, there's something about the father quality, that protecting and that security that, that God wanted to, us to know and to reveal. And obviously I wasn't this intense when I'm telling her. But I'm telling her this and then right there in this moment, this girl just begins to cry in class. And I'm thinking, oh no, this is bad. What have I done? <laughs> and she's crying here in the classroom. And I just say, oh, are you okay? I'm, I'm sorry. Are you, is everything okay? And she, you know, she just looks at me and she just says, it's, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's just that I've never really had a good father in my life. One of those moments for me, you know, and it's just one of those moments. And I remember just leaving that class and I think, man, thank you, Jesus, that you did come to reveal the perfect father. Because, you know, she is one amongst so many. She is one that I know that even here today, you could probably relate to her, you know. And I just want to let you know today. That if you are like that girl or you're in that place, that you actually do. There is a father who loves you. There is a father in heaven who champions you. There is a father in heaven who thinks that you are the bee's knees. There is a father in heaven who is just so crazy, crazy in love with you. And uh, today we're just going to have a look at one verse in the Bible. And I just want to have a look at this verse and just these words that, that God the Father... These words, this simple sentence that God the Father spoke out, this, this thing that he spoke out over his son Jesus. And I just want to have a look and just see because it just captures such the heart of God's the, the Father. You know, isn't it amazing that even Jesus needed to know that he had a Father who knew him, loved him and was delighted in him. And so where, where we come to this this. this thing that, that God says is where Jesus is, you know, he hasn't even started his ministry yet. He's done no miracles. He hasn't done anything yet. He's just been living his life, Jesus. And he's come to the, the Jordan River. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. And he comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends from heaven like a dove. And then this voice from heaven, an audible voice from heaven, speaks these words over Jesus's life. And he says that you are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Now, if you spend some time in your Bible, you spend some time reading through the Gospels, you will notice that there's only one other place that is recorded the audible voice of God in the New Testament. And that it is there, the only one other time, but again and again, God repeats this. He speaks this over Jesus' life twice. Here at the baptism and again at the transfiguration, transfiguration on the mountain. You are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. It's recorded in Matthew. It's recorded in Mark. It's recorded in Luke. Peter then picks it up again and records it in his letters. 
You'll find it over and over again. Why? I mean, of all the things that could be spoken from heaven about Jesus, could have been you're a prophet, could have been you're a teacher, could have been you're the Messiah, could have been anything, but it was this. You are my son whom I love, and in you I am well pleased. Why? Because there's something so powerful. If Jesus needed to hear those words... Imagine how much humanity and we need to hear those words. So I want to stop and just have a look here. And I want to pull out three little things today that I pray will just encourage you and leave, let you leave this place knowing and just feeling, man, I got a good, good father that loves me. All right. First thing is that, that God speaks over Jesus. He speaks this identity and this belonging. You see, he says that you are my son. And there's two reasons that that statement is so powerful. The, the, the first reason is this, it's the definite identity that God speaks over Jesus. He says, you are. Now, this is the thing. When God speaks, he means what he says. So God is speaking here. God is saying and declaring over Jesus, you are. And wh- when, what comes out of his mouth matters. What comes out of his mouth matters, you know, because we can call ourselves a lot of you are's. Other people can call us a lot of you are's. You know, you are smart. You are funny. You are a doctor. You are good. You are bad. You are an idiot. You are good looking. You're a wife. You're a husband. You're single. You're a failure. You're a musician. You are stupid. You are skinny. You're fat. You're rich. You're poor. Whatever. All these you are's and the list could go on of this is what I am and this is what I am. And so many of these you are's. They're so fickle. They can be gone in a moment. But friends, the words that come out of God's mouth are not fickle words. They're not words that mean nothing, but these are powerful words. And God finishes this statement over Jesus, this definite identity. You are my son. My son. And this brings me onto the second reason that this is such a powerful statement. You know, being a son... It's an amazing, amazing thing. But I just, when I was reading this, it was something that just stuck in my spirit and it just stood out to me. And it was the fact of whose son he was. You know, it, there's lots of people that are sons. We're all sons. There's sons everywhere. But it just stuck out to me whose son Jesus was. You see, God says, you are my son. You are my son. You belong to me. You belong to me. Man, people want to belong to something. And God says that you are my son. You know, there's two things that, that burn within my life as a father. That, that just passion for my kids, you know, is that one of them is that to provide. Provide for my kids. I don't know where it comes from or what it is, but you've just got this. You just want to provide. You just want the, to be there. You just want to have it, you know. You, you just want to provide. The fathers, and you know, you just want to provide for your kids. And the other thing is that you want to protect them. I mean, darling girl, I'm going to fight for you, baby. I mean, you get a whiff of like, someone treating my kid bad? <laughs> Whoa. You know what I'm, like, you see, like, my kid isn't even in high school or whatever. I don't, yeah, I know. I'm from Mullum. I am gangster. Grew up in Morrison Avenue. <laughs> anyway, I am gangster, Carl. 
those things that wanting to provide and wanting to protect. And you know, God defines this relationship and he says, hey, that you are my son. And so this means for Jesus, you know, my beautiful girls, they've got me. They've got Paul Dent to provide and to protect them. But God, Jesus is here in the voice of the creator of the universe, the one who hung the stars, the one who created everything, the one who is all powerful. And he says, hey, that I am the one who will provide for you and I am the one who will protect you. You belong to me. Is that good? Amen. The second thing that God speaks over Jesus is worth and value. He says, you are my son whom I love. No, I I don't want a person to leave this place today without knowing how much the Father loves you. Just read a book recently by um, Joseph Prince. Amazing book, The Power of Right Believing. If you've ever read it, read it again. If you haven't read it, go find it and read it. It's amazing. Such a good book and I'm reading this book and I got to the end of the book and he finishes the book, The Power of Right Believing, with a chapter and it's devoted 100% to the love of the Father. And in the book he writes this and he quote, even if you forget everything else you've read in this book, awesome book, he said, even if you forget it, memorize this, that as a child of God, no matter what happens in your life, your Father in heaven loves you dearly and nothing you can do can ever change that you know he's he he knows what he's talking about there you know we can have all the stuff correct and right and awesome theology whatever gone right but mate we've got to know that God is our father and he loves us you know that everything that Jesus did and then he said came from this place this love of the father and you know one of the amazing things is that Jesus didn't do anything to earn the love of the Father. You know, there's so many, so many people and so many Christians who, who, who think that there's something that I need to do to earn God's love. That it's about what I do, it's about how I act, it's about me, you know, the way I live and do, then that's going to earn me the love of God. Let's just get something straight here this morning. Is this Okay. If you've got a moment, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. It's one of those scriptures that's just awesome and actually rocked my world because it was like, yo, wake up to yourself. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. You know, and I I bet that most people, when they read that or they hear that, that, oh my gosh, he can see everything. That 100%, like he sees right through me, I'm exposed, I'm naked. That when we read that and we think, oh man, this is bad, this is not good. He's not going to like me now. Hey, because we see all the behind the scenes of our life, don't we? We see all the stuff on the inside and we think, oh man, if he sees all that, how how can he actually... He's, he's, he's not going to really love me and like me. You know, but we need to flip this around and look at this in a completely different way. I mean, if he is the God, yes, he does see everything. He sees right through you. He knows you. Every facade thing that you put up to cover up or patch yourself up or make you feel good, he sees right through it. 
He sees you and knows you exactly as you are. And you know, the amazing thing is that he doesn't run away from you. He actually runs to you. He runs to you. You know, God never came to a person or people that were all clean and patched up. Oh, yes, I've done so well. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love. His own love for us, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. You see, we don't get any part in determining how God feels about us. You don't get any part in determining how he feels about you. God demonstrates his own love. It's it's generated on his end. And it wasn't when you were clean and good and living great, but while you were still a sinner, he said, oh yeah, I want you. You look good like that. I'm going to come get you. I love you. He's going to clean you up. (laughs) Amen. But hey, he loves you. You know, Jesus put it this way, and some of you might find it helpful here today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus said that, look at the birds of the air. They do not reap or... They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they, than a bird, than a bird? Yes, you are. You are so much more valuable than a bird. God feeds them, God provides for them, but you are so much more valuable. And friends, I want you to know this morning that you are loved by God, the Father, as a child. Man, he is so crazy in love with you. And the third thing that that God spoke over Jesus, and I just think this part is just amazing, is just this dad's approval, the approval of the father. He said, you are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. You know, Jesus lived his life knowing that the father was there and was his father, that he belonged to him. He lived his life knowing that that he loved him, but he also lived his life knowing that he was pleased with him, that he was pleased in him, that he approved of him. You know, I don't, Jesus probably didn't even need to hear this. He already knew what was going on. I think there's probably some benefit here that God's saying, hey, this is so people will know. You know, this, I just think that this is one of the real X factor parts in this relationship. You know, that Yes, we, we can get it. Yeah, I belong. I'm a, I'm a child. And yes, I know God loves me. But, but is he really pleased with me? Does he really approve of me? And, and is he really delighted in me, like in who I am, with all my flaws and failures? Do, do I really make him happy? Does he really, you know? And this is, we'll do crazy stuff to get approval. We'll do crazy, kids will go to crazy lengths to get approval. You know, I work in those high schools and I see it every day. The things that people say, the way they act, the, what they do on the weekends to try and get approval. Whether there's something missing there that they haven't got from home or they're from their family or they're just searching for it. They want to know, hey, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I, am I awesome? Am I, am I, you know, am I good enough? You know, we see girls that are willing to do things with, with boys just to get some sort of approval in their life 
that, yeah, you're good enough. Yes, yes, you are good just the way you are. And vice versa, guys will go and do all sorts of dumb stuff. You know, just go <laughs> the stupidest stuff to try and fill that place and get approval that, yeah, I'm good enough that, that, like this. You know, the, the fact is that there is just a deep longing inside each and every single one of us that these words that God spoke over Jesus, that they would be spoken over our life. You know, I, I really believe that approval is one of the most powerful things that a father can, you know, influence their, their, child, their children with, is that approval, that I am pleased in who you are. You know, there's such a big difference between living for God's approval and living from his approval. You know, living for approval, that's a world of anxiety. Living for God's approval, that's a world of fear, of insecurity, of striving. Am I good enough? That's, you, you perpetually think, you're trying to blow that. Living from a father's approval. Now that's a world of peace. That is a world of love and absolute security. And that's what's on offer each and every single day of our life. Now I think, yeah, this all sounds awesome, Paul. Cool, cool, that's good. But, but that's God speaking to Jesus. That's not about me. That's God speaking to Jesus. You, you don't know me, Paul. You don't know how messed up I am. You don't really know the mess that I am in. You know, you might be finding this actually quite hard to hear this talk about this, this father. Because I've never had a father. Well, my father was the absolute worst. Now, I want you to know today, and I just know that he is right here and he just wants to meet the need that you've got in your life to have that vacuum, to have that place within your heart of a father's love, of that belonging and that identity to a father, of that approval from a father, that right here this morning, that he wants to fill that place within your life and be the father for those who have never had one. Be the father for those who maybe have been hurt or impacted. That you can stop trying to live for approval, stop trying to live to belong, stop trying to live to be loved, but rest in the fact that you belong, that you have identity, that you're loved, and that someone is pleased in who you are. You know, all of us at some point in our life have been separated from this heavenly father, this perfect, perfect, amazing father. You know, we've all, in a way, in a sense, in our sin and rebellion, have been actual orphans separated from our father. We've all been separated from this family. I love Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. And it says this, that it was always his perfect plan. You've got to think, he's the one who started all this. You know how crazy love God is with you? It was his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children. 
So no matter what, where you think you're with father or no father, whatever, hey, there is a father who has got a perfect plan to adopt you and become your father. So that his tremendous grace that cascades over us would bring him glory for the same love that he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. Right here this morning, you need to know the crazy love that God the Father had for his son, Jesus. The exact same love he has for you. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on what you do. It is just who you are. He has the same love for you that he has for Jesus. He loves you absolutely. He loves you completely. And I just want us to walk and leave this place resting in that Father's love for our lives. And I'm just about done. If we're gonna, are we going to worship to end? Awesome. <coughs> I just pray that these words, hey, that you can just accept these words and maybe just this morning as we worship this morning, we're about to sing a song that this world and our church has just fallen in love with. It's called The Good, Good Father. And it's, it's fall, we've fallen in love with this song because there's something so powerful in this song and it's words that I believe speak right into that vacuum, right into that heart within our life. Hey man, I just need a father. I need that love of a father. I need the love of a perfect father. You know, we may have had amazing, I've had the most amazing, incredible father. You know, I know that I'm a great father, but I know as well that there's imperfections within me as a father. Each and every single one of us does. But you know, we have a father that whatever pains, whatever hurts that you may have from your father, from a father, from whatever, that God the Father... That he is the one who is able to heal and bring healing within your life in any wounds, in any area that there might be. And this morning, I just felt to encourage and just to say, you know, that if, if there's anyone here that you've still got those pains from your father that maybe haunt you, it, you can cry about that. It's good to cry. It's good to grieve. It's good for things that maybe you've lost or maybe you've had taken away or hurt, whatever. Hey, it is good to cry and grieve and to, to go through that process. But I want to tell you this morning that there does come a point, there does come a time where you do need to forgive that person. You need to forgive your father and you need to release him from the pain and that he has hurt you. You need to do that. And you need to let go of that and forgive. And you need to receive the perfect love of the Father. Not only do you forgive and release, but also receive and let him love you. Okay? And both of those things are found at the cross. You look to the cross where God forgave you. He went there for you. That all your sin and all your brokenness would be wiped out. Hey, we've got to turn that to our fathers, whatever it is that they've done. I've got to wipe that away, forgive and release them from that. But also in the same picture, looking at that cross and going, oh man, that is the forever I love you statement of God. That you are the apple of my eye, that in all your mess and in all your disgustingness, that perfection would take my place. That it was me that was supposed to be up there. Perfection took my place. He loves me.